0: Welcome to Immersive Talks. This is Palmer Foote from Bigfoot Music and Sound hosting episodes with Jump into the Light around the connection between immersive technologies and the human condition. Mihao and Royal from Jump help produce this podcast and find incredible guests to be interviewed. I'm a commercial and freelance music producer and ever since experiencing a meditation garden in VR, my worldview changed. I'm interested in seeing how immersive technology influences traditional concepts of community building and idea proliferation. Today's episode, I got a chance to speak with Philip Baldwin, an associate professor in media arts at Stony Brook. He brought a computer into Jump and told us that a student made it. The computer itself is about the size of a phone and uses Watson to answer tough emotional questions fed by code. Philip prints these AI conversations with help from his students and others in a quarterly publication called Turing Test. I'm gonna read a brief quote from Marsha McLuhan's Understanding Media. In the mechanical age now receding, many actions could be taken without too much concern. Today, the action and the reaction occur almost at the same time. We actually live mythically and integrally as it were, but we continue to think in the old fragmented space and time patterns of the pre-electric age. Please enjoy this episode and let us know in the comments if you'd like to get some bonus material from this or other episodes. Philip Baldwin, welcome to Jump Into the Light. Thank you. A little bit of background on yourself and, and where you come from.
1: Very cool. Um, I uh, am a associate professor at Stony Brook in art and technology, i um, been there, God, 18 years now, and I've sort of migrated with technology, started in architecture, went to scenography, through design, into code, into human-computer interfaces, into brain-computer computer interfaces, and I guess the the overall thing is I like combining the media. We talked about McLuhan, and I think making these McLuhan-esque webs of of whatever's out to, to take the silos apart and let... You know, VR spillover with uh, EEG brain emotion readers is cool. Uh, me, I grew up in rural Minnesota, got seven brothers and sisters. For grad school, got a uh, full scholarship to Yale, <laughs> went there, got out. Um, I continue to keep up a business in immersive environments around town and, and internationally. Conduct a study abroad program in Florence, which we did a whole VR reconstruction of Florence, the city. So, um, yeah, I've been lucky to follow a passion and
0: get paid through that passion, as it were. What was the path that took you from the scenic design into VR?
1: VRs, I've always been interested in the way we see. The way society sees you, you worked in anthropology and this is a fundamental issue of each society. You know, some societies can't see perspective, you know, that they see flat things. And so moving from architecture into scenography, into film, then into VR is kind of a no-brainer. It's it's Mm -hmm. this Aristotelian quest to be deeper immersed in that reality in order to... Of lose something or gain something. The ancient Greeks actually sought to lose something, <laughs> you know, catharsis. They sought mm-hmm. to lose the limits put on them by society. And I think so many limits are put on us right now that I, I think people enter, whether you're gamers or watching a great a lady, you know, Lady Macbeth, you know, rubbing her bloody hands together. We're looking to lose ourselves. You know, have the catharsis, and then later we can gain it, gain something on an intellectual level. But I think the losing is, is the amount of limits and the repressions put on the individual in the, in the time. So this, is, this has been a function of narratives and storytellings for, for
0: 5,000 years or longer. How do you find that storytelling changes with different types of media? Well,
1: VR has been around since the 19th century, right. really. And in World War II, they put these things on guys and spin them around in mock fighter planes and get them all dizzy and say, okay, you're ready to go shoot down a Messerschmitt? And the guy would say, no, 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 I'm not. You know, <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about? You know? Mm-hmm. And it's crude. And then Geron Lanier and crew in the 80s and 90s came close, but they didn't have the processing speeds which we have now, and the game changer, ironically, I don't know why these, perhaps the military had it 10 years before this, room-scale VR is an important addition because it tracks the body in um, 3D space. Right. So it's no longer, let's call it the bar stool or the, the World War II fighter pilot version of VR or the Victorian lady looking at pictures of paris you know through the stereoscopic thing this is this is something that charts the body which gets closer to the greek ideal of catharsis the ability to have an immersive
0: catharsis in class what readings do you first give students to open their minds a little bit to where where you're coming from and where The class will take them.
1: we came up here to jump into the light, meow, and their script was ancient. It's Prometheus Bound by Aeschylus. Old-ass script. Mm -hmm. And then I'll try and choose a non-Western script. We had a bunch of roomy scripts on, like, the nature of reality. We had the Monkey King from China. And I try a bunch of these non-Western scripts Mm -hmm. just to F it up a bit, just, like, make young people say, you know... This dream world humans talk about is nothing new. You know, they always try and parallel this life with some representation of a dream world somewhere. So Prometheus Bound is about technology. Um, I throw in a little Aristotle's Poetics on that and and um, mm-hmm. and kind of explain the mechanisms of what you're supposed to feel, and that is still entrenched in every Netflix. You know, film out there, Netflix is getting worse and worse. As the algorithms get bigger and bigger, it seems to be turning into oatmeal Mm. after a while. So um, this is Aristotle, an old script. This time I'm trying to use, this semester, trying to make them use um, this ancient, not ancient, 11th century Persian script called Conference of the Birds where they, the birds talk about a dream world and talk about this one big bird, but the big bird is actually the collectivization of them. The large entity is sort of a, a combination of them, and they come to discover that, and, and and you know, Aristophanes has something about the birds which is hilarious, too. Right. Um, but I, I try and throw in an ancient script, you know, Gilgamesh, whatever, and say, listen, kids, nothing's new. And that's the beauty of it, that we're going back on familiar country, a familiar way of looking at um, uh, paradigm shifts. Mm -hmm. You know, this is is probably, don't want to sound chauvinistic, but this is one of the the most challenged generations ever for the fate of humanity. We have a convergence of AI, Mm -hmm. which I brought in today, an AI device that takes – Particles of Watson, we typed in a suicide note into it, a, a, a love letter, breakup letter, mm-hmm. taxicab seduction, a, a note from um, a mall to a mother that her children, child was lost in the mall, and these really dire situations. We plug it into Watson and see how Watson deals with these very human situations. I read this up in front of the class, and jaws were dropping when... I'm gonna swear in line here. The 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 machine in the love letter, the breakup letter, she called me a fucking asshole. It was totally randomized, but but there was kind of a liaison of a sort of a scanning of words, picking out the best words through voice recognition and so forth,
0: and it was like Siri or Alexa on steroids. Right. So we in front of us here, we have a a little screen, and on the back we have a chip, um, which looks. Like a little badass computer, and it's got some plugs and it's got some Ethernet.
1: Yeah, this is this is amazing. Um, forgetting the specs on it, but this is basically your
0: laptop in 2010. Mm. So this is, and I'm serious. It's the size. I mean, it must be three by. It's five? almost the size
1: of a smartphone.
0: Right. It's it looks here. like it looks like a, a iPhone XR, and
1: it's a grand total of thirty six dollars and thirty six dollars. Wow. So it's like seventy five eighty bucks. Nice. That uh, Clayton Monas put this together with Khan's code that he and that it's got a SD chip in it, mm. and um, and my kind of challenge to them is: Can we? get this speaking to an audience, you know, with these letters. I also have the, the book here of, of critical transmedia. We have a whole book here called Turing Tests, which is a book of these dialogues. Mm-hmm. So uh, Khan put this dialogue in the form of he, she, so there's interlocutors, and they're in some sort of conflict with each other. They're breaking up. They're trying to find a child. They're having a seduction in a ta- taxi cab and deciding whose house to go to if, you know.
0: You are the author of this book.
1: I'm the author of much of the book, probably 90%. I asked students and colleagues to write extra. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the kind of challenge was find a human, a very human. One of the, the essays in here is an a oncologist telling a patient you got stage 4 cancer. And whether you say that directly or say it in a cliche way mm-hmm. or whether this book could become therapy on the best ways of saying that, mm. if there are any, is beside the point because there's, there's a delivery on all of this.
0: You know, so, the human's role in making one of these conversations is inputting a code at the top of the conversation and yes. then watching it play out?
1: Yes, it's in Python. Okay. Scripted out with certain kernels from, uh, I guess, after Watson defeated the top three um, Jeopardy players, they left all of that code online, open mm. source which is a scary concept, but it takes a really bright person to pull it off and put it in an $80 machine. I would love to have this invite actors and improv people in and say, you know, here's your script. Mm -hmm. Move in a nonlinear way. Move through this thing and um, uh, uh, come out and see if we, the audience, can tell. Like, the book is entitled Turing Test. Right. Whether... There's a machine behind that curtain or a human. Are you coming out with four of these a year? I write this as a quarterly, on basically on technology and emotions. This is the focus of uh, critical transmedia, and I think, you know, I ask my students to write. There's a student essay on finance and AI in here, is that Wall Street is the original sort of big beast, mm-hmm. you know, the, the financial AI uh, one issue was on the future of the campus as a cognitive device. Right. Uh, my, I'm a second generation. My dad designed college campuses, and mm-hmm. here I am trying to pull them apart. <laughs> but, you know, here's a f- really fun and scary fact. Uh, Barack Obama just paid off his student loans one year before he became president. And then we have 80% of the other students who will never pay it off. And I'm a, prof- you know, my day job's a professor, my night job, I work on wonderful projects around town and in internationally, Korea, Singapore, uh, Rome, I work a lot. But it's it's shocking that these entitlements, especially entitlement for a thirst for knowledge, you've got a 70K price tag on it. Right. Not worth it. Absolutely not worth it for a thirst or curiosity to stay in the knowledge economy and, and pay for a campus. So my students actually worked, most of these were medical students or pre-med students, oh, cool. worked on the concept of, um, can VR or other immersive forms deliver a cognitive space that m- would make people get rid of the campus?
0: How, how would you see the future of technology if you could wave a magic wand and you could see a future of technology um, a futuristic type classroom, if that is even a thing. I, th-
1: I think we have to we have to go there. It's just a 200k in debt for an undergrad education, and you're a barista in Brooklyn. It ain't gonna fly. It ain't gonna fly. I mean, Stony. I mean, hats off to Stony's ratings. Came. I'm not. You know, I'm not a real company man, but I'll plug Stony mm-hmm. here. Um, has gone way up because it's 7k a semester for a quality research university setting. But here's an interesting fact, and I read um, Doug Rushkoff's book called Team Human of Late. I don't know if you've just read that. Mm. Interesting fact, uh, plants bind energy, animals bind space, humans bind time. We are a time-binding animal. If it weren't for literacy and writing, And now VR and electronic, and this is the essence of what, I mean, I think McLuhan was onto this, certainly with his predecessor, Innes, Mm -hmm. talking about binding time through Canada with the rails and so forth. The idea of literacy, there's no real accident that literacy kind of emerged during agricultural revolution. Petzinger goes to all these caves and finds these caves with similar symbols in them from Two, 300 miles across and it's like, did they have a common language or were they channeling these languages or what was going on? And I think this, it's very simple, non-mystical way to say we are a time-binding animal. VR is no longer the Phoenician alphabet, although you can right. add the Phoenician <laughs> alphabet to it. In McLuhan's sense, you're looking in the rearview mirror to see the other media. VR is theater, it's film, but it's also architecture and urbanism. So I'm right. a I'm a travel freak. I love these little Italian towns where you jump out of the 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 train station and go, like, oh my God, I've arrived. Here is the piazza. Mm-hmm. And I think the the notion we in these nordic anglo cultures are really down on the piazza or the common space the way that mediterranean societies and more okay warmer societies have it northern societies have their pub but i don't think a pub compares to you know the the piazzas of italy this right. is this is a stage where the, the talk about fluid you you enter and exit and your roles are very fluid and so forth in a pub, you go and you your your booze is kind of a miniaturization of that
0: of that fluidity. Right. We talked about both having gone to Rio, and you have you know you have eight musicians. You know, seven of them are percussionists, one melodic instrument, and then everybody else is singing. And everybody in the place knows like forty songs off the top of their heads. Well,
1: all these people knew the the songs, so they had to take time learning it. Right. They had to be impassioned about it, just like some. Math kid might hate learning the quadratic formula, but has to do that. And what my students, when they did this study, this charrette, about the future of the campus, Mm. you know, these expensive campuses, oh, my God. What my students found out, and here's the challenge for VR, is humans like to learn together. As As you said... In Rio, it's like suddenly someone plays a chord, and everyone's like a, a societal jukebox. They all chime in, right? right? Just like in the olden days, Americans used to know lines to favorite movies or something like that. You could say, I mean, before the internet, you could have three or four channels only right. in American, Eisenhower era America. And, mm-hmm. and you got your script now. Go go repeat your script until you die, you know, have your 2.5 children, the beautiful, obedient wife, and right. your car, your Levitown, your whatever. And fortunately, those scripts broke apart, but we missed out on, like, the touching base
0: of the common scripts, like you said, in Brazil. When you came here and you had your students here learning together as, uh, you know, as a culmination. Yeah.
1: They had about six different software they had to learn. Some was pretty complicated, like Unity and, yeah. and Blender. And I'm like, I usually grab a kid and say, Johnny, learn this program so you can teach me. <laughs> when we came here for um, final presentation, the script was Aeschylus's Prometheus Bound.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It, they composed their own music. Mm. A number of kids made their own Unity code, they built a landscape. Mm-hmm. I had a Neurosensor, EEG, because I love mashups. I love messiness. Here, audience, I'm a maximalist. <laughs> so with my students, say, you got six software apiece. You got to put it all together. There's 120 of you. All of you get together. Some compo- I had three or four kids playing their own instruments, mm. a guitar, or whatever. I got a da- wonderful dancer, Derek. Brockington, I think, from Dance Theater of Harlem, paid him 100 bucks to do an improv. He gave a crash course to the students on basic French terminology for ballet into modern. So most of these things become like jazz performances. We hit a chord, and everyone gets to riff on it, the shy kids, and it's a cultural
0: challenge too because
1: Stony Brook is the second most diverse university in the country.
0: That's a lot of styles. I'm so happy we got to talk and to display and spotlight some of your projects and some of your thoughts and your class.
1: Thank you. And we'll see you on the block.
0: Brought to you by Bigfoot Music and Sound and Jump Into the Light. If you want to reach out to Bigfoot for commercial music interests and post-production needs, including podcasts, original music and sound, sound design, and much more, contact y-o at b-i-g-f-o-o-t-e dot com. If you're interested in developing your VR and AR content, contact hello at jumpintothelight.nyc.